Welcome back to another episode, guys. I just wanted to get in before the start of the episode to let you know that our sponsors, A&R Pro, are putting up a bit of a prize for everyone listening. This week, you'll be in with a chance to win the A&R Pro Roller Bottle, uh, priced at 60 Australian dollars. It's for both uh, massage and hydration. It's perfect for everyday use and for high-performance uh, athletes as well. It's pretty lightweight, convenient, and it can save you time and money. You can take it wherever you want with you. It's eco-friendly. You don't have to keep using those plastic water bottles. And it just saves time and space in your bag as well. You don't have to carry a bottle and a roller. You've got it all in one. So if you're keen for a chance to win that prize, I go along to my Instagram page. I'll have a post up there showing you how you can win. But basically, basically you just have to make sure you follow both my page, the A&R Pro page, and tag one person and you'll both be in the draw to get one of those bottles. So... So hopefully uh, we get a good turnout to that. But one thing, uh, sorry, it's only available in Japan at the moment, this roller. Uh, it's only been sold in Japan on the NR Pro website. So this prize will only be available to all our listeners in Japan, which is a big chunk of the listeners. But just sorry to all the uh, international guests. We'll hopefully get a prize that uh, you guys will be eligible for in the near future. But thanks again, NR Pro. But don't forget as well that you can definitely uh, still use that 15% off uh, for all products, if you use the JRW15 code at the checkout. So make sure you use that and uh, support the boys. Konnichiwa and welcome back to another episode of Japan Rugby Weekly. I'm Doug the Translator. And this week's guest is Mitsubishi Dynabo's second translator, John Akiba, for our second installment of the Translator miniseries. Should be a good one. So let's go. And welcome back, everyone, uh, to another episode of Japan Rugby Weekly. Uh, we've got our second guest in our Translator miniseries. He's my Dai Senpai. He's a big senpai of mine. Uh, the other translator from the Mitsubishi heavy industry Sagamihara Dynabores, that is Mr. John Akiba. Uh, thanks for coming on, John. Yeah, no, no problem. Happy to be on. And as everyone can probably tell, you've got an American accent, probably the first guy with an American accent on the podcast. But uh, what is your background like? What is your ethnicity, if you could share that with us? Yeah, so, um, yep, American, but my ethnicity is uh, half Japanese, half Puerto Rican. Oh, wow. Nice, nice. Yeah, so, so my... Uh, yeah, my father's, uh, I'd be first generation American. Uh, my father's born and raised in Japan. Um, my mother is, she's from New York, uh, Port, but Puerto Rican by blood. Um, she's second generation American. And yeah, they all met in New York. And um, and yeah, from there, it was just kind of uh, just just being yeah American. And I'm also a Japanese citizen as well, mm-hmm. which is, yeah. Nice, man, nice. Yeah, best of both worlds, eh? Yeah, exactly. Best of both worlds. But yeah, and uh, obviously we met uh, properly a few months ago, but I think we've played each other in like the domestic uh, club rugby scene over here. Um, but you play a bit of rugby, I play a bit of rugby, and now we're both translating uh, for the dining boards. But um, yeah, it's the first time I've ever had someone um, like a kind of partner translating with me in the rugby scene, so... Uh, it's been yeah great to kind of be able to bounce off ideas with you and I've had a lot of fun. Yes, same thing. Yeah, yeah, same. I mean, yeah, just doing it solo, it's kind of a little bit tougher than doing it with a, a, another a counterpart or a co-worker that, that has different types of ideas, different ways of, of thinking and translating. And yeah, just, just bouncing the ideas and um, I guess just, just kind of competing with each other as well on who can translate the fastest, who can translate the best, it just yeah. uh, able to grow mm. each other. But um, yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, especially us playing playing kind of amateur foreign boys rugby, just internationals that come come to Japan and uh, just live in that, that amateur rugby lifestyle yep. and kind of going into a, I guess a higher higher role, but a different type of role, mm-hmm. um, which is which is pro translating. Yeah, or yeah. Uh, J- Japanese proteins. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty neat. Pretty neat. Glad we connected. Yeah, and uh, with the Dynaballs, we get to use the gym and stuff in the morning. Uh, so recently, we've been going in at six a.m. to do a bit of a 
gym workout together and you've just been uh, smashing me, my senpai in the gym for sure, just uh, bullying me in the gym every morning and everyone, all the boys always laugh at me when I'm like hobbling around because I've got, uh, yeah, doms and stuff. But yeah, I guess you enjoy yeah. that part of the uh, of the lifestyle as well, like keeping active. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yep, still still play here and there. Um, yeah, and just gotta just gotta stay stay in shape, stay stay fit, and obviously just having that. Obviously, just having having the guy that that just came in gotta gotta punish him and and get him just as strong. You know, you gotta you gotta put uh, you gotta you gotta make him strong and yeah yeah. So no no, it's it's good though. Yeah, mm-hmm. just just kind of pushing each other there as well, which is an awesome time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think all the boys always tell me um, that you probably lift and like uh, squat and stuff more than a lot of the players. So uh, I've definitely got a lot to catch up on because I think I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not at that level yet. But um, can't wait in a year. Everyone will see me buff ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, uh, Doug's definitely the uh, the pound. You you are the pound for pound champion, I believe, of the from <laughs> probably. And the whole team. The other day, doing the the hangs, the the bar hangs. Oh yeah, yeah. And you were, I mean, you came you came in first out of out of the the top four boys. So definitely the pound for pound champ at the moment. Um, I think it's Congrats, just a, yeah, because I'm so much lighter than everyone else. If I've got like one pound of muscle, I can hold myself up. But everyone else has actually got to have strength. So yeah. it was a bit cheaty, I think. But um. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah hey, hey whatever whatever works to win man yeah that's it <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to play to your strengths eh? that's it that's it <laughs> but, <Exactly. laughs> um, but to yeah. get back i guess to your story um you mm-hmm. said you know you so you can speak both english and japanese but which would you say is your first language i'd say my first language is english mm-hmm. definitely so i so i learned japanese uh when i was six yeah. Uh, before that, I was living in the states, and then, uh, like I said, moved moved out to Japan when I was six. So first grade, I learned Japanese, and then and that was basically the I, just the basics of Japanese. And after that, moved to uh, America, moved back to America, and from there, just within the household, father being Japanese, he always spoke to me in Japanese within the household, and and outside of that, just speaking speaking English. And yeah. that's how I kind of retained my my Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Nice. Um, how long were you in Japan for when you came over when you were six? I was only in Japan for about 10 months. Okay. So basically just started school in, yep, started school in July or August and then ended in May-ish. Yeah. So, so yeah, just about 10 months, a little over, but. Um, yeah, very short term. It was just really just one year. Obviously, you know the the years it goes from April, like J- uh, Japanese school years, it starts from April and ends in April. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of basically I ended up I ended my school year in April, and then went over to went over to America in kind of May, April, Mayish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, and how was that? Uh, year of schooling in japan obviously trying to learn the language but then also trying to learn all the stuff uh at the school as well was it tough yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah i mean being six it's hard to hard to look back on it mm-hmm. um just because you know it was so so long ago but uh yeah i do remember yeah there were some challenging times obviously all the all the kids they all have they kind of usually have like uniform backpacks and yeah. um, looks and styles. And I was kind of the only, um, the, the outsider in a way mm-hmm. uh, that was, that was kind of just trying to get my, get fitted into, into society or at least in, in the school scene. Um, but the, yeah, yeah, it was definitely di- difficult uh, learning Japanese. Um, thank God it was from the basics. So mm-hmm. I wasn't, really going into all the Japanese characters as such. I was more into kind of the alphabet phase. Yeah. So that it was, it was a, a easier transition than, than some, some other uh, people that come at uh, elementary school or middle school, but yeah, but yeah, 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 definitely challenging parts. And, but, but it slowly gradually got better, got the hang of the language. And then um, just being in that environment was able to, I was able to just improve my Japanese that much more. Mm-hmm. 
So that was a good part. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when you're just always hearing it 24-7, it just, uh, you pick it up so quick, especially when you're a kid. But yeah, what you said about yeah, everything definitely. being uh, uniform, it was just like the everyone wears the Lando Seder, the backpack, everyone's got to have yeah. the same one and they cost so much money. So I think we always just had <laughs> hand-me-downs and then everyone, like we didn't have school uniform, but you know, like you said, everyone's got kind of like the same hair, the um, same like black eyes, black hair. And everyone yeah. just looks Japanese. And then it was the same with me whenever I, yeah. when I came in, I just uh, kind of stood out a bit and couldn't really speak that, mm-hmm. like Japanese that well. So yeah, definitely yeah, uh, yeah. know your struggle. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. At first, when I came in, I, I saw these le- Lando Seto, it's the, those backpacks that you're talking about. Yeah. I'm like, man, these are, these are ugly. They're <laughs> like these, like, it just looks like a, a box on your back. Yeah. And um, I guess obviously like, it keeps all your books and stuff nice and neat. And I heard that it, it's actually, um, it's actually a buoy. So if you ever oh, yeah. jump in the water, then it'll keep you floated. And there's, there's some crazy ones. There's ones that are waterproof mm-hmm. and yeah, they're, they have all these, uh, special, special specifics on them. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, just that. And obviously like shoes and stuff, everybody had the same type of shoes. And, yeah. Um, yeah, the clothing was very similar as well. The style, yeah, just coming like definitely a, a culture shock in a sense, but um, but it was good. Yeah, it's good to learn and adapt and try to try to um, fit in with everybody else. But yeah, it's good. Mm, nice. Yeah, uh, and then you went back yeah. to America, and I guess you know, like you said, picking, still uh, learning your or still keeping up your Japanese. Um, and then, how was your life? What did you do while you're in America? And um, uh, yeah, tell us about that journey. Yeah, so in the states, I ended up uh, moving back to Hawaii. We moved to Hawaii just mm-hmm. just my dad's work kind of took us all over um, to different different spots. Um, it was really a, my father that I was living with at the time, yeah. or from from elementary school onwards. Um, and after he kind of got done with living in hawaii then we ended up moving to las vegas oh wow uh spent elementary school middle school there which was a good it was a good experience definitely um definitely different there wasn't as many people as there are now um and uh, the school the education there is 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 great uh obviously there's bad parts there's good parts we were in the better parts so there wasn't as much crime mm-hmm. um and from there i kind of that's where I, I didn't really learn rugby so much it was more of uh american football obviously in america they're all about they're all about the pigskin the, the yeah. football so uh that's where that's where i picked started picking up um different types of sports obviously doing judo and uh soccer uh things like that and um and wrestling as well and so after after las vegas ended up moving to uh, uh, southern california mm-hmm. it's called mission viejo it's, it's a little bit of orange uh, orange county it's a county there so yeah and that's why i picked up a little bit of surfing and and was exposed to more of more of american football uh and like i said that was the high school days so uh you kind of had to had to choose a sport obviously yeah. for for the season just like every other western country but um yeah i ended up choosing uh choosing american football and during the springtime i'd go play rugby mm-hmm. and that was they never had at that time they didn't have rugby and they didn't provide uh the sport of rugby in school so you'd have to go to a club outside and uh and join join there but um yeah obviously the level there is is a is more it's more leisure than it is competitive so yeah um which 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 was good as well but obviously yeah obviously being being in high school you want to be a little bit more competitive especially uh american football being competitive but mm-hmm. but yeah it was good it was a good change of pace and that's where yeah that's basically my whole american education came in basically after six when else after first grade just lived in america uh mainly on the west coast that was about it yeah wow nice um yeah for someone who's never been to america like me just all those uh places you've been sound like a dream man um i love to be in hawaii uh <laughs> vegas uh yeah um definitely on the bucket list to go over there yeah 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 def- yeah definitely yeah if you're on the west coast definitely you gotta go to uh you gotta go to the three triangles it's las vegas or well, it's los angeles 
San Francisco and Las Vegas. So that's the they're, they're about five hours five hours away by car, an hour by by plane. So mm-hmm. it's not too far away. I mean, depending on where you're from and what you expect on traveling. But um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely a, a dream in a way, uh, the American dream. And that's that's what my father he was when he first moved to America. That's what he was pursuing was the American dream and mm-hmm. um, just being able to move to different places. He was able to live the American dream and at least uh, influence me on the American dream as well. So, so that was a, that was a good aspect of moving around, I guess. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, and then as you uh, told us up until high school, but you also played a bit of uh, American football or Amefto in a uh, university as well. Eh? Yeah. 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 In university as well. Amefto. Um, I went to U University of Southern California, USC. So uh, they were just private school, but really, really known for football. They they produce uh, more NFL players than any other any other university in in the states. So oh, wow. just being in that type of prestigious school and um, yeah, that sporting that that sports program was a big a big deal and learned a lot from it. Yeah, wasn't anything. I wasn't one of those top athletes that's been recruited since high school or, or middle school. But, um, yeah, I, I went in as a walk-on, um, ended up getting a scholarship on my, my fourth year, a full ride. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I mean, you know, learned a lot, like I said, and, and yeah. yeah. Nice. And was it a career you wanted to pursue being an American football player? Like, uh, was that the goal? Yeah, yeah. At at one point it was, but it was kind of a a far shot. Obviously, just competing with with guys that are top class that's, I guess, have been recruited since high school that that have the athleticism, the hand-eye coordination, the speed. Um, It was was kind of a long shot. Uh, And uh, I I went into the combine and, and had some good numbers, but obviously if you don't have film, then it's hard to get drafted or it's, it's hard to, to, uh, to, to get called to, to try out for a team and stuff. So I never got the opportunity to go to a team. Yeah. But I did, I did get to get to at least try and, and give it a shot. So, um, yeah, yeah. I did have an aspiration for it, but I knew it was a long shot yeah, and, yeah. um, and yeah, yeah. So that was really about it. And I think just knowing that there was a long shot, I thought of different avenues to, to go down, uh, in the sporting the sporting industry at least maybe not a player but wanted to be an agent at one point obviously um and i wanted to be a uh just just a coach as well mm-hmm. that'd be a, a cool route to go down so so some a different avenue that i could have definitely pursued during that time of uh, going to university and and being a football player uh yeah definitely was thinking about that hey nice nice yeah i think yeah. uh these definitely when i was a kid i didn't know kind of much about the sporting scene and like the supporting role that so many people have to play for it but um like now you're that we're kind of like in the industry there's just so many people behind the scenes that have to kind of keep the team running eh? so it's definitely an important part of it yeah definitely definitely yeah and that's that's really yeah you kind of take that for granted when you're a player or especially like university mm-hmm. yeah when you're just when you're just a player and you're focused on just playing you forget about the the roles on on in the in the back you know the back of the room what what's going on there but um yeah yeah it's just you kind of kind of think oh what other opportunities are there with with other than being a player and you think about those those back office roles or whatever whatever it's operations or um analysts or coaching or Mm -hmm. um yeah just any anything in the back office secretary or yeah yeah so yeah yeah, yeah, you could go into any anything really, whatever you put your mind to, or whatever is available, you know. Nice, nice. Um, and to touch on like that scene in Japan, at like uh, mm-hmm. high schools and stuff, it's crazy. Like all those club teams, they're pretty much run by the players. There's one teacher who kind of leads it, but all the managers and everything are done by players. So you just see, like in the rugby teams, there's always. Uh, it's great for the CV and stuff. I think if you put down your manager, if you don't like sports, so there's a lot of kind of girls who uh, spend three years being the rugby manager, and it kind of sets them up 
you know, the universities and stuff. It looks like such hard jobs. They've got to, you know, do all the supporting stuff that normally a few teachers would do in the US or in New Zealand, I think. So definitely a different uh, yeah. culture over here, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They're, uh, we have way different culture. I mean, our rugby team was really, yeah, like you said, the players managing and coaching themselves. Obviously, each player has has their own role, whether it's treasury, whether it's um, the manager itself, the uh, operations guy, or maybe a player's coach, you know. But um, usually, our, we never actually had a coach. It was everybody just having their own opinions on mm-hmm. different things and different. Obviously, the captain would have the ultimate say and the style of rugby that they want to play. But yeah, we never really had a coach that would that would do all the subs and stuff. He'd be the captains that was on the field. They'd go, oh yeah, take the prop out and bring and bring that prop in, or yeah, yeah. you know, they they call the shots at halftime, or just kind of predict it for um, during the game and stuff. But um, yeah, like you said, the, especially the managers too. They don't have it's all volunteer. Mm-hmm. It's volunteer basis. It's but but obviously they can put that on their resume and then show their employers or the future employers kind of the responsibilities, the roles that they've had. And I think that's a, that's a good perk for them, but, Mm -hmm. but they never really, they never received any money or other gifts and stuff from the club itself, which, which goes to show that they're doing it off passion and, and the desire to help the team, not, not the hard tangible assets. Mm -hmm. So they're not, they're not working for money or anything like that. It's just, for the good of their team and and for their own personal development, which is which is a good thing. That's kind of the desirable, um, the honorable type of attitude that a Japanese usually has, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is kind of interesting. It's a different culture, culture way of thinking, I guess. Mm. Nice. Um, yeah, and yeah. so you t- kind of touched on the club rugby scene in Japan there, but how did you yeah. end up in Japan after university? Uh, like, what made you want to come back to Japan? Oh, um, it was mainly, yeah, I just wanted a different type of scenery, but it was also, um, it was mainly to, to see my grandparents mm-hmm. or, or my family members. Obviously being in the States didn't, my father was the only family member that I knew, um, in the state or that I had in the States. Obviously my mother wasn't really too close to her at the time. So, yeah. um, just being solo out in, in the States, I kind of wanted to just at least get to get to see family a little bit more often mm-hmm. and thought, uh, also losing my, losing my Japanese wasn't a good thing as well. Um, and just wanted to come out here and live out here for about three years or so. Mm-hmm. And I kind of turned into, it's now six years now. So, um, yeah, time flies, but yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. really the main motive, um, coming out here and also playing, playing rugby. That, that was, uh, that was another reason, I guess, work-wise, just wanted to enjoy, um, in, enjoy the, like the, the pro scene if I can get there or just, just enjoy different types of professions before I get into my career. So that was, um, a big motive for me as well. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Nice. Um, and yeah, what did you do when you first came over here? Oh, so when I first came over here, I, I was a. I uh, worked at a cafe mm-hmm. called Mojo Coffee. Oh. It's uh, it's a New Zealand brand. Um, sure, I don't know if you're you're aware oh, yeah, of it. I've, but I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty well known in in New Zealand is what I hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's similar to All Press. Well, it's a it's a rival to All Press. Um, unfortunately, they're not they're not in operations anymore in Japan. Um, they actually went under, but but yeah. So I was I was there for for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked up my first year. Worked up to manager of the store, and then and then I went to a, a another store in Harajuku and was the manager there for for about a year, mm-hmm. and then went into this uh, coffee sales after that. Oh wow! Um, yep. So just all about a. Uh... I guess uh, coffee and stuff. What did you do that kind of stuff in America, or did you just just jump into it in Japan? No, yeah, it was. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Yeah, I just jumped into it when I got to Japan. It was more of when I was in in America after university. Ended up going the uh, the other uh, 
another different type of food and beverage. It would be it was uh, bartending, so oh, yeah. craft making craft cocktails. But um, and did that for a year. And when I came over here, a guy, a rug, a, a a rugby friend that I knew in America, he knew somebody in Japan, which owns was a partial owner. Had it was a stakeholder in Mojo Coffee, and he was he just basically recruited me and said, "Hey, do you want to?" work for a cafe and at the time wasn't really um wasn't really keen to look for look look for a uh like a big a, a, a big company job yeah so um like a corporation job so i wanted so i decided to just yeah let's see how it goes and just take the take the coffee job mm-hmm. and that was really it i had no clue about coffee i didn't really i didn't really drink coffee at the time yeah. it was just something that just came up and i just kind of took it and went on with it yeah nice i uh yeah. i guess a lot of people are probably wondering like they hear a lot about the working culture in japan and how it's uh you know pretty intense but how was it for you uh in the cafe no it wasn't yeah it wasn't too it wasn't too bad in the cafe obviously it was right it was run by a new zealand a new zealand uh owner mm-hmm. so so she was really she had that kind of western style of thinking of yeah don't overwork yourself and just get out at the right time that you need to get out obviously um so so yeah so she was she was adamant to to make sure that everybody was not overtiming or overworking themselves Mm -hmm. to death so so that was a good thing and i think when i was at that time when i came over see i wanted to get into the the pro rugby uh that that lifestyle so i wanted to try to at least make money um playing rugby mm-hmm. and and that was a good kind of stepping stone in a way uh to to keep some sort of income while also trying to pursue uh rugby or uh, opportunity in rugby so 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 yeah so it was good yeah it was it was a it was a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. obviously i didn't get to the to the pro rugby scene as a player but um at least i was able to at least try and uh and train mm-hmm. and at least get some footage to to give myself a chance yeah which was good nice um and yeah like i get so many uh messages either through the podcast or uh even when i was at coca-cola the website at coke would always get uh messages from people overseas who are wanting to come over and try and make it as a uh, pro player because I think a lot of them still kind of see it as up and coming but um it's you know it's quite a hard uh you know slog to try and get into it especially if you don't have uh, Japanese blood because as soon as you're classed as a foreigner you're up against you know all blacks and wallabies and uh springbok and stuff so it definitely uh, makes it you know a harder grind but uh, for anyone who wants to come over and even if it's just play uh, in the expat leagues or in the Japanese domestic leagues, how was that experience for you and uh, how did you kind of get into it in Japan? Yeah, so that was that was also an introduction as well. The the expat, uh, the, Jap- the domestic Japanese rugby leagues. Um, I I first was introduced to to an uh, expat team that was, um, it was all social. It wasn't really so serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just do it for a while and just, just kind of making connections was good, but just wanted something a little bit more high, higher level. And that's where just asking around and different people were giving me kind of the same advice on one team or two teams. And so basically uh, just going to going to that amateur team, I really bumped up the level. Um, one of the teams is in Tokyo. Uh, it's, they're called the uh, Tamariba. Tamariba, the there's no Tamariba boards or nothing. It's just called Tamariba. Mm-hmm. And so they've been, they're in Tokyo, but they practice all over the place. And, but their level, they're, they're probably the, the best amateur level in Tokyo, the Tokyo region. Yeah. Um, there's also other teams that can compete to that level, but uh, just consistently they're up there. Another team is up in, up in Hokkaido. That's the Hokkaido Barbarians. Oh uh, yeah. And they're kind of like, yeah, they're, they're almost like a kind of like a semi-pro squad but but they also um but they're a really strong really strong team so when i say semi-pro it's almost it's they kind of set you up with with a job but and it's not that high of a paying job it's mm-hmm. just a job to keep you afloat but you all, you also play for 
kind of a, a really nice organized club that has their own their own um, their own field. They have a couple fields, a clubhouse, and it's really. I've never been to New Zealand, but I'm guess it. I'm guessing it's similar to kind of the, the New Zealand style of rugby, um, which which is which is pretty cool that they have something like that. And that's really the only two teams that are that are kind of prominent. Obviously, if you go down a little bit down in Kansai and Osaka region, there's a bunch of other there's there's some good club teams that are top level as well. But but sometimes it's restricted in the sense that there might be. Um, it might be just a uh, a group of teachers, mm-hmm. like it's like an industry focused uh, club team. So it'll be a bunch of teachers for one team. Where there's also um, there's also a team called the Hercules, which is it's uh, there's a university called uh, Ko University, mm-hmm. which all the Ko University old boys they're the only ones that are allowed to join the Hercules club team. Oh wow! So things like that. There's a little bit of restriction. So. Um, that sense it's it's unfortunate that you can't go on those teams but Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's that's where you just got to find what team works for you what boys are cool and uh and just join them so so yeah so i ended up joining tamariba which they're 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 very welcome i mean from being an american that wasn't to the level of of their of their height Mm -hmm. um it was just yeah they were just welcoming me and, and just teaching me as much as they can and uh, yeah, just good boys all along. They're they're good. They're good on the piss. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, just enthusiastic and and it was all good. Yeah, so that was that was my team that I really enjoyed playing for, and yeah. I still do here and there. So yeah, nice, nice. Um, when I came over, I just looked up you know rugby team, and I was living in Yokohama next to Tokyo, so I just put Yokohama and then uh, like the uh, YCAC, this kind of uh, country club, kind of came up, and uh, there were heaps of Kiwis there, so. They kind of made me feel welcome. Obviously, it was just real social stuff. But then there's also the Tokyo Crusaders, I think, uh, Tokyo Gaijin. Uh, so there's a few teams yeah, that yeah. have a lot of uh, foreigners if you're keen to kind of connect with uh, foreign people in Japan when you come over. If you're looking for more uh, like uh, Japanese-based teams, then I guess you can start with those ones that speak English and ask around and join different teams as well. There's an all-France as well, eh? So if you're French... Um, yeah. you can join that team. There's a lot of, uh, French expats over here who play in that team together. So, uh, definitely a lot of options, yeah. especially in the amateur level. And then, like you said, there's a few teams that, uh, kind of aim a little bit higher if you want to try and get into those and they can be stepping stones to go on to bigger and bigger things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 I started, I, that's exactly, exactly the thing, the stepping stone, like you're saying. I started out the Tokyo Crusaders, mm-hmm. then, um, made friends with the Tokyo Gaijins. I've played a game with the YCAC that you're talking about. And, and yeah, I mean, those were all kind of just be- building connections and, and they, they know all the insights of all other clubs and how they kind of operate as well. So, um, some, some people have connections too, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, but, um, but yeah, just, just kind of getting your foot in the door, I guess, uh, just, just, yeah, building connections. That's that's a that's a big part when you come over and play amateur amateur rugby out here. Yeah, nice man. Because yeah, it's real good. Uh, like I think you're one of the first guests who's kind of come over and uh, been in you know normal work over here, played club rugby over here. So it's real good to kind of get that insight because a lot of the players that we get on are just guys who already have contracts. And um, there's definitely a few players who've come over and played for the teams like the Barbarians and uh, Hokkaido and, you know, other teams. And they've kind of grown and been signed for those company teams. So there's definitely ways to do that. It's just uh, getting over here and I guess just, you know, you got to come by it. Exactly. Yeah, you just got to come by it. I mean, <laughs> if you got to, if you know, if you got to go... <laughs> You got a goal and and you know what you want to do you just gotta gotta come over and it might not it might not take a year it might not take two years who knows it might be it might be four three or four years or mm-hmm. something but at least the more the more years the more experience the more people that you connect with the more you can go out to different company clubs which they provide you with a job and rugby's included um or you might have a complete pro and that, that's a semi-pro route or you might have a, a pro contract mm-hmm. where it's just all rugby. Um, and so 
yeah, it just depends who you are, what your ability is, how committed you are. And, um, and I think the sky's the limit and just accept what, what comes, you know, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Nice, man. Nice. Great advice. Um, yeah. I, I guess, uh, we've talked a bit about your, uh, time working in a cafe and playing, uh, rugby in the club rugby scene, but how did you end up uh, as a translator at Mitsubishi Dynabores? Oh, so that was, I was, I was introduced by, uh, a Kiwi guy named Luke Bradley, uh, to one of the, the translators or was a translator with the Mitsubishi Dynabores. Um, and, and at the, and they were looking for another translator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they wanted two translators at the time. Um, so, so Luke introduced me and that's where I met, uh, that's where I met the guy named Ashton and Ashton was able to, he was able to introduce me to the GM, did an interview and, and got the job. Uh, at the time I wasn't, I wasn't at the cafe. I was actually working for a, uh, a real estate company called CBRE and being just a real estate, uh, or a facility manager okay. and, and wasn't really thinking of, of being a translator, I did ask Luke. I mean, Luke. Luke. He he has an agency. It's called LRB Sports mm-hmm. in New Zealand, and um, and he has a bunch of connections out in Japan. And I went to him and and asked him for advice. Or I, I said, hey, keep an ear out if you can for a translating. If there's a translating gig, I might be interested. Uh, he hit me back up a couple months later and said, hey, uh, there's there's somebody that's looking for a translator, you keen. And I said, yeah, Hey, um, yeah, hook me up or, or at least I would just want to listen to the, to what they have to offer, but yeah, definitely be interested or something that I think about. And so obviously one, one thing led to another, they connected me. Um, and within the, the conversation went on for about, I mean, there were days that were open, that was really open and we didn't talk for a while, mm-hmm. but from the time that I got connected with the Mitsubishi Dinobores to uh, when I got signed, it was about eight months. Oh, yes. Yeah. P- pretty long process. It was almost a year. I thought the conversation fell out, but, mm-hmm. um, and the days kept getting closer and, uh, to, to signing. And, and I basically ended up taking the job and said, Hey, might, might as well try it out. At the time I had being a facility manager, it was a really stable gig. And, and I kind of had my pathway down to, to, for the real estate industry, but, um, I said, Hey, wanted to get into pro sports at one point. And, um, and so this is, this is a chance where, where I can. So, um, that's where, that's why I signed with me species and, and got onto the team. Wow. Nice. Man. Um, and sorry, just yep. to touch on being a real estate agent, was that, uh, helping kind of foreigners or were you just mm. with Japanese clients and stuff? And uh, how was that work environment? So, so being a, it wasn't really so much a real estate agent. It was, uh, I was working for a real estate company and their department was a facility. I was a facility manager. Mm-hmm. Basically the, the, the job that's required is I just look over, uh, different tenants space spaces, their office spaces, and just make sure that they're, uh, that there's no problems with their AC or their lighting and mm-hmm. all kinds of different other things that are, that are within their office space. And our client was, it was a, a Swiss company. Okay. So it's called, yes, Swiss Re was a company, but um, a Swiss reinsurance company. And they, but of their, they have a Japanese branch. So they were Japanese clients, but they, all, they were also mainly English speaking. Mm-hmm. So all the emails was in English and all the, um, the some of the conversations from to on Zoom or, on Skype was was English conversation because all because the headquarters was in Switzerland. Yeah, they also had branches all around APAC. It was English for APAC meetings and and talking to those clients or or the uh, the supervisors. But but on site there was a lot of Japanese on site, mm-hmm. so it was kind of a mixture of both. Oh wow, nice. Um, but yeah. Yep. When you went into the Mitsubishi environment, um, you know, most of the staff, there's, it's kind of like half and half the rugby side of it. There's a lot of foreign staff, but also the management side, it's all Japanese. Um, but 
how was it going into that environment? Did your uh, past work kind of help you prepare for that? Or um, yeah, how was it just jumping into translation? Had you ever done translation for any of your other jobs or anything? No, I haven't. It wasn't officially translation. It would be, it was trans. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of, I wouldn't want to say it was translate so much. It was more of like, that wasn't my main job title. It was mm-hmm. like in order to get certain jobs done or to get to negotiate with vendors, I'd step in for translation. But other than that, I wasn't really translating. It was more of just, just getting the job done yeah. that, that was necessary. Um, so uh, yeah, just coming into the Dino boys, it was definitely different. Um, had a little bit of, translation mindset but it wasn't so so much um such such a job in a sense and it wasn't it was so tight like for translation you have to kind of do it on the spot Mm -hmm. you can't really think so much about it because you can't have too much time in between so you can't have that much thinking time has to be just a, a a click of a switch where you just where you just spit it out in japanese or you spit it out in english whatever it is um so i didn't really have that Still to this day, I don't have that fast of translation work um, of the way of doing it. But um, but yeah, but it was definitely different. Um, but I would say that I was able to prepare myself for this world because I was able to be a little bit more formal mm-hmm. in when I was a facility manager. Uh, obviously, all the emails and um, and just formally introducing myself to different different clients um just being being more professional i was able to relate that to to the to, to the dinobores when i came in um so yeah so i had a kind of a business attitude when i came into the dinobores which is a good thing mm-hmm. um probably the, the toughest part would be uh the japanese and english uh, rugby lingo oh uh, yeah, yeah was a little a little bit tough part yeah just because everybody has they're all from different clubs and different, and I I didn't know what type of terminology that the Dinobores were u- were using at the time. So when I first started off, it was, it was definitely difficult, mm-hmm. but um, but got the hang of the terminology a little bit, and was able to translate a little bit more, a little bit better. Yeah, nice. And yeah, you uh kind of like you said jumped right into the deep end. Um, and yeah, the rugby lingo I think is a big one. Um, obviously playing rugby in New Zealand, I knew, and, you know, everyone knows rugby in New Zealand, so you know the lingo there, but, uh, in Japan, you don't always know what words kind of translate directly, so you don't know which words you can use, and, uh, all of that stuff can kind of take a long time to get used to, but, uh, yeah, how was it? You're in that sports, uh, the pro sports environment, but how was your first year last year? Yeah, first, first year last year was, it was good. I wish it went a little bit better than I, than I thought it did. Um, yeah, it, it was good though. Uh, just the translation aspect. Wish I was able to translate better in Japanese mm-hmm. at the time. It wasn't. I didn't think it was sufficient enough. Um, but but I did get better over just doing it over time and time. Yeah. Um, the more times you 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 get to do it, the more I was able to to kind of change my mindset and 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 be able to translate more on the spot uh but uh yeah at the time we also have a another uh, a coach that can speak that's bilingual Mm -hmm. and he was obviously helping out heaps on some of the on some of the team meetings and some of the individual or not the individual meetings but the uh position positional meetings and things like that so so yeah, so he was his name not not son, but not son was definitely helping out a lot there and wherever else I was basically filling in and and helping out where I can. But yeah, definitely the first year was a little tough one, but but some that some that I got used to along the way. Um, and yeah, so now the second year and yeah, just just learning from from Doug, the uh, the veteran and. Uh, <laughs> And just taking on the heaps of advice that you've given me, obviously, just just studying. We we have off season for such a long time. It's kind of like three months, two months, three months. We're off, 
and now we're uh, three weeks we're off mm-hmm. so during that time just just practicing and just just keep on reviewing 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 listening to different types of listening to english and then trying to spit it out in japanese and yeah just practicing that over to to have that type of mentality and um so i can switch on and off right away yeah but, yeah but yeah no, well, because um, well, I'm in my fifth year now of translating, but my first year was, I think, similar to what you experienced, and uh, especially when we don't really, we didn't go into translation school or anything. I don't really know too many people who are in the mm. rugby translation business who kind of went through a proper school or learned translation at university or anything, but uh, that first year, you're just kind of thrown into the fire. Uh, it's a pro sport, so you kind of have to get results, but yeah, it's definitely quite tough. The first meeting I had was one where the company, uh, the GM was explaining all the company roles and the company vision and everything about the company and nothing about rugby to our coaches. And I just didn't know any of the lingo that they were using at Coke. And I felt like, you know, crying when I was walking home. I was like, man, um, I can't do this at all kind of thing. So I definitely, uh, yeah, remember that first year. There were a lot of struggles. Um, but I think, yeah, like you said, when you're in that environment, the only thing you can do is you just get better because you're the only one there who can really do it or uh, you're the one who's asked to do it. And uh, being in that kind of situation, you definitely learn a lot quicker than if there are a lot of people there who can kind of take the load off you. So, uh, yeah, it definitely uh, helps in the long run. And um, uh, I've, I haven't really given you any advice. I think you've been the one who's helped me out a lot with all the stuff at Mitsubishi at my new club, made me feel really welcome. So, um, yeah, thanks, Senpai. Nice. Yeah. Any, anytime, anytime. Yeah. It's just about adapting. Um, yeah, I wish obviously you were, you were solo, solo dolo when you were, when you were translating at the, uh, with Coke, but which I wish I was at that moment or at that point, um, solo, because I think I would adapt it better. I had the crutch of, of Natsan, yeah, which, which I appreciate very much, but, at the same time, I'd rather, I, I think in order for me to, to, to hurry up and, and get to speed with my translation, having a crutch was, was not a good thing, mm-hmm. but, but that's just, that's just me per my personal, um, I guess my personal opinion in a way. So I think I, I want to get a lot better. I want to be to the point where I have no worries of going out front in front of the whole crowd and, and translating right away so um and i'm kind of not up to speed at that level i'll get i'll definitely i'll definitely work to get there and once the opportunity comes i'll, I'll definitely try to be ready as much as i can but um yeah that was something that i admire on your end is that man you you must have during those struggles you pushed through it you adapted and you're able to be at where you are now which is props to you man you're the you're the real senpai. <laughs> no, no, um, thanks, man. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, all about um, faking it till you make it. You know, uh, I might look That's confident it. up front, but I'm shaking. I'm like, man, I should have gone to toilet before yeah. this. Now, um, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> shaking in the knees. Oh. Is that guy's knees buckling? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's definitely um, positives and negatives, like. When I was by myself, I was yeah. thinking, you know, I've got to pretty much do shuttles running back and forth with the backs and the forwards. Mm-hmm. And I was quite unconfident first because I wasn't sure if how I was translating. I was pretty much just going off what I thought was right because I had no one to kind of learn off. Um, so that kind of took a long time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you definitely learn a lot quicker if you're by yourself, but you can also learn a lot from other people watching them translate and you can kind of learn uh words that there might be words that you don't know how to translate perfectly and then someone might say it once when they're translating you're like oh yeah that's a perfect way to kind of um explain it yeah um so it's just all about kind of it's pretty much just you know when i hear a set of words now because i've translated that so many times it's just automatically the thing that i use for that set of words just comes out Mm -hmm. i don't know that Mm -hmm. was a terrible explanation but yeah it's just pretty much rote learning you know so yeah uh, no that makes sense yeah no, no, no. I, I, absolutely. I, I'm the, I'm the same way of thinking. You just, yeah, it's the, it's just the re- repetition and, and that's the same. It's kind of, you're getting the same phrases mm-hmm. over and over. Everybody kind of says basically the same thing. 
they just phrase it slightly different but but if you can get those trends and and you memorize them and you say it right on and you know what to say exactly over and over then it's you're that much faster at translating and yeah no i definitely agree i remember you told me that and it all clicked when uh when i did hear that so yeah definitely definitely no i agree with you on that nice man um and then, nice. yeah, sorry, I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, this year, um, obviously, I've come on board. You got two translators, but we also lost an analyst, uh, so we needed to fill that role. And um, there was a bit of talk about who would do that. And uh, you are now officially uh, translator, but also an assistant analyst. But um, how is that? And what does that kind of involve? What's what does an analyst do? Oh, analyst, we're just. Uh... Yeah, at at the well, I'm I'm really just two months into it, but at the moment we're just I'm work wise, I'm just taking all the film that we're filming at practice or the footage and just cutting it and clipping it, and making sure that it's all the uh, the downtime is all taken out and just just sticking it all together and providing that footage to the coaches to the players. Haven't done so much of the individual stats and. St- things like that uh they're called codes but mm-hmm. haven't really put down uh this guy caught a pass he he did a year he he threw a good ball or the not, not nothing of those codes quite yet we haven't gotten into preseason when preseason time comes we'll we'll get more into that we'll all get more into that um but uh yeah nothing that's really about it just providing footage to the players and the coaches at the moment but how that corresponds or how that goes into effect with my translation or my translating uh, job it'd be I'm more of obviously I'm kind of the assistant to you just helping out whatever wherever you're not wherever you're not I should be there Um, but then at the same time wherever if if you see a lot of it then I'm able to to go into the analyst work Mm -hmm. so so that's so my I think my first priority is is translating. My second is is analyst work. So yeah, yeah. um we'll that that's kind of the, the preseason and how it's divided up, the workload, but uh we'll yeah, we'll see how they see once we get into the season, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. Um because yeah, I think uh because you've had those two roles that kind of just automatically kind of set the roles, sometimes you might be up in the you know, the tower taking the footage. So I think that's automatically made you kind of assistant of both, which uh, wasn't necessarily the case at the start or what was agreed on or anything, but yeah. you've pretty much just got to pick up the slack everywhere and, um, you know, help out everywhere. And you also do all the seikat support or the support, lifestyle support for the foreigners. Um, and mm. a lot of them have families over here and, you know, in a new country, uh, don't speak Japanese much. Um, and there's so many things they have to help out with and you, uh, you know, have that role as well. So you've got, you know, three or four different roles to do and I'm just here only doing translating. So I think that's why I, I, you know, try and get up there and do the team meetings and stuff. Otherwise I literally will do nothing and, uh, you have to do all the work. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, uh, yeah, that's, that's all that. What, what we were talking about earlier was the, the, um, the back office stuff obviously behind the scenes stuff is um yeah helping out with the lifestyle support of all the foreigners um obviously they have their own agents and the agents will help them out mainly with um with their with their whole family and stuff but but sometimes the the foreign player itself himself uh will have will have some problems herself will have with will have problems so um, at that point, I'll I'll help them out. Maybe it's with car, the house, um, just any any type of accidents they might get into. Yeah, just 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 be there. But obviously, it's also good to have have you as a treasurer because if they can't reach me, then you'd probably be the the next one that they mm-hmm. contact. So at that point, yeah, yoroshiku. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah, no, thanks for supporting. I think um, it's definitely like. There's so many people who kind of just have to help out with everything and support, and that's kind of what you know makes a team run. Um, so yeah, can't yeah. wait to get into that proper preseason and uh, about to start the season with the Dinobores. But what is like your future goals? Like, what do you want to? Where do you want to be in five years time or ten years time? 
Uh, I would. Yeah, that's a good question. Thank, thanks for asking that. The I'd probably say my five-year plan. I definitely want. Oh, well, I I do want to be a coach mm-hmm. at one point. Um, to be specific, I do want to be an American Nationals coach. Oh, nice. That's my that's my big that's my big aim. The I guess in five years that's probably a ten-year plan. Mm-hmm. The five-year plan would be uh, learn as much as I can within within the within the company or within the the rugby department within uh the game of rugby um and the different styles of playing rugby so um that's that's kind of a broad five-year goal mm-hmm. i don't really have a position where I, where i want to be i definitely if i can I, i'd like to be an assistant coach analyst um but that's kind of, yeah, I don't think I'm to that level yet of, of being an assistant coach, mm-hmm. but I do want to get more into, more into the, the coaching route, whether it's yeah, yeah. academy stuff or things like that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my five-year goal. If, if I'm still, if I'm still a analyst slash SAS translator, I'm more than, I'm more than happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I can learn and grow even there as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my five-year goal. Nice, man. Kind of, it's kind of open, yeah. but but have a couple options in sight. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, I think like especially analysts translators to some extent, but um, analysts have to look at so much footage and try and find trends and stuff for the coaches. So, I think a lot of uh, analysts end up. You know, they could be real good coaches if they wanted to, because it's just part of the job, finding those trends, finding things uh, mm-hmm. that the coaches want to see. You have to be able to give it to them so they don't have to spend so much time looking. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely exciting. Even if it was like in 10 years time, you're the head analyst for the American team. That would be pretty amazing as well. So, uh, so many uh, opportunities, yeah. eh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely opportunities, especially with, with American rugby coming up. They're coming up in storm. We'll see how how it all pans out in five years, ten years time. But it seems like they're 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 gaining interest mm-hmm. within within the community, within the country. So we'll see how far they go. But yeah, they'll be and and who knows? I mean, maybe in in five years time, I can be. I don't know. I might be. I might be coaching for a club, some somewhere in the world besides America. Mm-hmm. But um, I definitely do want to get into the coaching out, and we'll. We'll see how that goes. Nice. Um, and yeah. before we go, normally I uh, ask a lot of Instagram questions, but we kind of decided to do this, you know, off the cuff. We both had time uh, now, yeah. so we just, you know, did this real uh, suddenly. So I didn't want to just put an Instagram post up, a uh, story up for like three hours and, you know, get only a few questions. So I thought go all in or, um, you know, or nothing, all or nothing. <laughs> Um, yeah, all or nothing, um, man. All or nothing. Uh, but all yeah. eggs in one basket. So I, um, I had there a few questions that I normally ask all the uh, mm-hmm. guests that we get on. So I'll just ask you maybe a few of those to finish, if that's all right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the first one is uh, yes. Uh, we've talked a lot about you know great things about Japan um, and not so good things, but I guess what is your favorite thing about living in Japan, and what is your least favorite thing about living in Japan? Oish. Probably say the, the favorite thing about living in Japan, uh, it's safe. The food is good. Mm-hmm. It everybody's nice. It's probably everything that all other foreigners think, mm-hmm. and and it's clean. Yeah, yeah. The 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 not so favorite part, probably say because I have a tattoo, that it's kind of. I wouldn't say. It's not welcoming, but it's kind of, it's not uncomfortable, but everybody kind of stares at you because tattoos kind of a, one of those taboos that that's related to um, criminals. Mm-hmm. It's, it, and so I don't like the fact that I offend other, other Japanese citizens because I have a tattoo. Mm-hmm. That may be because I'm just too conscious of, of what other people think, but, um, that's one thing. Um, and I'm not able to go to those onsens, oh, the really yeah, fancy yeah. onsens because I have a tattoo, 
yeah, that's 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 a big major, I think. Um, because I like the onsen, the onsen is sweet. Um, that's another good point, the onsen, uh, the the bathhouse, mm-hmm. to, to say the hot springs. Um, and then another bad part is, or not bad, but part that I don't like about Japan would probably be all the rules that that they have that everybody always follows. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not so much of a bad, but it's something that I wish there's it wasn't every I wish everybody wasn't so uniform to follow this type of way or this type of style. Yeah. Wish it was more open and people just kind of creating different types of creative avenues to reach that same that same goal, that same aim. Um, and so, yeah, I think just that one way of thinking, that's kind of the, the downside. I mean, yeah. that's not everybody. That's just, that's just kind of the majority. So, um, which, which you end up, if that's the majority. Sometimes I might have to end up going with the majority to not be kind of the out, the outsider. So maybe that, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, that's about it. Nice, nice. There's not, there's not too much negative. Not that I can think of. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. if it didn't, sorry, maybe, maybe we can talk more in detail. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, and I forgot that you had uh, tattoos, but yeah, that's definitely a big point. Eh? Like, there's so many things that you can't do. Uh, I think one of my mates went to a beach and got told like he can't be there because he's got a tattoo or something, and just so many, you know, crazy yeah. rules around that. Um, he got to kind yeah, of consider. Yeah. Yeah, and then even if it's cultural or if it's if it's really personal and related to to something personal in your life, and just not having it, like they 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 judge it by your tattoo, mm-hmm. and it's very unfair in a sense. And so that's something that I I don't like about that. Yeah, yeah, nice, but, nice. But but other than that, yeah, everybody's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's cool. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> um, and. You touched on food, but what is your go-to Japanese meal? I'd probably say uh, beef bowls. Oh, yeah. I, I love a good beef bowl. Gyudon. It's pretty cheap out here as well. Mm-hmm. Gyudon. Yeah, gyudon. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then I think another one would be shabu shabu. If I want to go the healthy route. <laughs> yeah. Shabu shabu is, I don't know, for, for the listeners, I don't know. It's, it's basically a hot pot. But um, instead of just soaking your beef and letting it simmer, in this in the hot pot you you take the this really thin sliced beef and you kind of you just slowly not i wouldn't want to say braise but you slowly sim not simmer but you just take the beef and just slide it around the the hot plate or inside the hot pot for about five seconds ten seconds and then you eat it and it's really soft and or you put sauce on it and you put it on your rice and it's really soft and delicious. And and then in the hot pot, you have all this, all these vegetables. And so you're making all these, uh, the juices or the concentrated flavors. And yeah, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's, eh? uh, the chef chef. So I went a little bit longer than I expected. <laughs> no, um, all good. <laughs> it's uh, one of your passions, food. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, sorry, is there a go-to uh, gyudon place that you like out of the th- like the main uh, shops? Oh, I'd probably say, probably say Sukiya. Oh, nice. Sukiya is a nice one. It's the red and red and yellow logo, but yeah, it's pretty good. But all of them are good. Mm-hmm. All three of them are good. Yeah, no, um, it's nice. I suggest if you guys come to Japan, go get yourself a gyudon. Yeah, they're so cheap. Definitely eh? won't. Yeah, yeah, so cheap. Three. 400 yen for a bowl mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think uh, you can get heaps of different sizes different toppings and it's uh, all good so if ask uh, if you're listening and yeah. you want foreign uh, customers make sure you uh sponsor us yeah yeah sponsor us please we're uh yeah we're advertising for you loud and proud <laughs> for sure for sure um that's what you were uh sorry just last question before Ooh. i let you go yep what is your favorite is japanese word or phrase or quote if you have one Word phrase quote, probably say sasuga. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, sasuga, which is, what What does sasuga even mean? Probably say, uh, oh, that's not, oh, that's right, but sasuga. It's a hard one to explain it. Yeah. It's kind of like if someone does something um, 
if if it's like I don't know in rugby terms, if Bowden Barrett, you know, scores one of his uh, tries that he's famous for, then you say like Sasuke, it's like oh, like yeah. you know, that's what he's yeah. known for. Or, he's, he's done it again. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's done it again in a way. Mm-hmm. Or I'd probably say best or dashkiri masho. Let's get, give it your best. Mm-hmm. Give it your best shot. Nice, nice. About it. Couple yeah. of good ones. Couple of good ones. All good ones, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, That's it for the for the ending. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, coming on again, uh, John, Mister Akibs. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, BP. Doug. <laughs> it's been uh, great to uh, catch up, and obviously we see each other pretty yeah. much every day, but don't really get to talk too yeah. much in detail about our lives and our origin stories. So, um, yeah, 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 can't wait for uh, Marvel to pick this up and make a movie out of you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hope I, I hope they they make a movie out of me. I don't know what <laughs> my character's name would be, but I'm I'm keen to listen to what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll be uh, DP. I'll be the sidekick of you. Oh like yeah. Um, I'll we'll be your sidekick. Be a translation duo. Oish. I think that'll be good. I'll be good. You're the Batman on the Robin. <laughs> or, uh... Yeah. I'll I'll take that. We'll, we'll figure take it that out. any day. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll have to we'll have to junk it. Yeah, Not yeah. Favorite season, and he gets the diamond. <laughs> That's right, bro. Nice man. Uh, thanks for coming on again, and uh, right, uh, yeah, talk to everyone again next week. Let's go.